If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today to recap Georgia's dominant 45-16 victory over South Carolina is my longtime coach, Curtis. And dominant is the right word to describe that win in Columbia, guys. Yeah, sure, Georgia's ever-so-faint championship hopes might be fading very rapidly as Florida is now unfortunately just one win away from clinching the SEC East, but getting some revenge over the Gamecocks for last season's game in Athens, that's a sweet consolation. I'll take it. I don't care if they were undermanned or without a head coach. I don't want to hear that. I just don't care. That loss last year at home, that kept us out of the playoffs last year. And yeah, look, I know that we were a beaten up team by the end of the year, and offensively we were a disaster, and we probably wouldn't have done anything once we got into the playoffs. But just getting the playoffs, that is big for your brand. And that game, that loss last year, cost us a shot at the college football playoff. And so call me wicked, call me evil if you want to, I don't care. But it felt good, man, it did. It felt good to walk out of Williams-Brice on Saturday night, seeing the look in the Gamecock fans' faces, I did not feel a shred of sympathy. I'll be real with you guys. Not one shred of sympathy because as far as I'm concerned, there are a lot of similarities between South Carolina fans and Georgia Tech fans. And don't get me wrong. Carolina fans are much better fans than Tech fans. I will give them that, rightfully so. They care infinitely more than even like the best Tech fan cares about that program. So there is some respect on that level. But just like Tech fans, like when, when miracles just ever so rarely happen and they do somehow manage to beat us they become some of the most obnoxious detestable people on the face of the earth and look every time you lose a game to an SEC opponent yeah people in their fan base some people in their fan base are gonna crow they're gonna get obnoxious about it that's just how college sports work I get it but Tech and South Carolina their fans they just take it to another level because it really is it's just such a rare occurrence that when they do happen to once every however many years end up beating us, they just have to make the most of it when they get the chance. It's a big time little brother syndrome with both of those programs. So no, I don't feel a twinge of sympathy for them after this game. And I don't feel bad about saying that. But as far as the actual game, I mean, you guys saw it. As Mike Bobo said in his post-game press conference, we dominated them in all three phases of the game. And And we really could have just about named our score. Let's be real. We could have just about named our score in that game. We could have dropped 60. We could have dropped 70 on them maybe if we'd wanted to. If we hadn't caught off the dogs about halfway through the third quarter and spent basically the entire fourth quarter just trying to bleed the clock, which how many times have we said that in the Kirby Smart era? That's kind of what we do when we get a big lead like that. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense to sit here and, and break down the ins and outs of this game. You know, the key plays, the coaching decisions, turning points, all that kind of stuff. The way we might normally do in a game recap episode. But 
there's still plenty to talk about. So with that in mind, we're going to switch things up just a little bit for this recap show. And what Curtis and I are going to do is just go back and forth trading takes or observations from the game. We've done this in the past and it just kind of made sense to bring it back today with a game like this, a blowout game like this. And so let us know what you guys think. If you like this format today, let us know on social media. You can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. And maybe we'll keep it going for the last few games of the season and keep it around for next season's recap shows if you guys like it. We are a show of the people. At least we try to be a show of the people, of, for, and by the people. So let us know. We'd love to hear what you guys think. If you like this format, then we'll keep it going. If not, we'll keep doing what we've been doing most of this season. So we will get to that, but... As has become a tradition this season on the Glory UGA podcast, we have to start with some quarterback talk, of course. Coming off the heels of the first 400-yard passing game from a Georgia quarterback since 2013, which is just – that's just so insane to even think about in this era of college football with the offensive innovations and explosion over the past decade that – it's been since Aaron Murray in 2013 that we had a 400-yard quarterback. That just that says a lot about where, where we have been offensively. So that was the first 40-yard game, though, since 2013. Coming off the heels of that game, JT Daniels went 10 of 16 for 139 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception in his second start this time in Columbia. First Georgia road start for JT. But Curtis Lee, we knew he wouldn't throw for 400 yards every single time out. We said as much last week on the show. Like, we knew that. But should this performance against South Carolina, should that lead us to temper the J.T. Daniels hype a little bit? Oh, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, realistically, a lot – like, the thing that's frustrating me the most is people are like, oh, you know, we're stepping back. We're not a modern offense because we're wearing the ball so much. But especially against a depleted team like we're facing, we didn't need J.T. to go out there and throw for 300 yards. Um, and you saw the good and bad from him. I mean, you knew that he wasn't going to be perfect, um, especially coming off his injury. And you saw it a little bit more Saturday than we have so far this year. You know, just maybe his pocket presence wasn't as great as it had been. And, he, yes, he did underthrow Jermaine on that one throw. But at the same time, he still had some really good throws. Um, you got to bring up the drop by Jermaine. I believe it should have been a touchdown, if I'm correct, in the corner of the end zone. Um, and outside of that, just you got to think of, even though he didn't throw for 400 yards, the threat of him in the passing game and what he brings to it opened everything up. I mean, of the first two drives, he has 74 yards passing. And after that, we didn't need as much from him because just the threat of what he can do actually in the passing game opened up the run game and allowed us to impose our will. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. When you talk about the yardage number, because that's what I've seen and heard a few people say today after the game in Columbia. I heard a couple of Georgia fans talking about, well, you know, that, that sure wasn't a 40-yard performance. Kind of like, well, no, it wasn't. But like you said, Curtis, it didn't need to be. I, I firmly believe that if we needed to throw for 40 yards in that game, like we did against Mississippi State, we could have. That That South Carolina secondary is depleted. That, like we said last week, they're without their two starting cornerbacks, one of the starting safeties. I mean, if we wanted to throw for 400 yards, we could have. We just didn't need to. But like you said, when you can run the ball for 332 yards and 7.2 yards in an attempt, why would you do anything else? Why would you possibly risk doing anything else? It just doesn't make any sense. I know you want. You could say, well, you want to get your offense uh, a little bit uh, further on track. You want to build momentum going into next season. I get all that. Well, we did that last week, guys. We still have a couple games left this season as well. But a game like that, when especially when you know – We'll go up against Mike Bobo. You know the whole relationship with him and Kirby. We all know that. Like we knew he wasn't trying to run the score up, and and look, we could have run the score up just run the football if we wanted to. But it, the bottom line is, if you don't need to throw the football like that, and you can run with as much success as we did to the point where you're going to win by thirty points against a commerce opponent, why would you do anything else? Like there's just more bad. It's, it's the old coaching cliche, but it's true. There's more bad things that can happen when you throw the football. So when you can run like that, there's no need to throw the football. So I'm not worried about the, the yardage totals at all that doesn't bother me at all now you did mention some things that we've got to watch out for I still think largely he he seemed comfortable and confident in the pocket did you feel that way Kurt yeah outside of just you know it's not that he wasn't comfortable it's just the pocket presence in general you know um the one play where he took the sack uh you know he probably should have thrown it away and then also at the same time he uh, evaded the pocket into the pass rush and I think that's just you know getting him reps um and I think that's why even in that last drive, yeah, we were handing it off the entire time, but they kept him out there just so he can really look at a defense and get used to, you know, the speed of the game and everything going on, even though he was handing it off. Um, you can see him still getting comfortable. And even that the interception, I don't think that was a bad throw. I think the DB made a good job of undercutting Karras, but he, I mean, it floated a little bit, yes, but Karras got his hands on it. And, 
you know, you're taught really that, if, especially if a receiver gets two hands on the ball, it should be caught. Let's talk about that interception for a second. Cause I, there's, I went back and, and watched the, the, the replay over again. I watched it a couple of times already, actually. And I watched that play more than any other play because I was really, okay, was this, was this bad read? Was it a bad throw? Was it a poor route? I think it's one of two things on that play. I think either JT, either it was supposed to be a, an out route, like a 15 yard out route, a hard out route that JT just threw a little far up the field and made Karish drift up a little bit closer to where that safety was, or it was supposed to be a corner route, like a flat corner combination. That and if that was the case, then Karish ran a really bad route because he it looked like he started to run like an like an out route, and then I, I I'm gonna veer towards that play being an out like an actual out route that JT kind of just threw up the field a little just a hair just a little too much and that got the safety involved there and it took Karis out of the play a little bit uh, or out of his route but there's also a possibility I mean it's just I don't know without knowing the, the route play. wasn't crisp all around in my opinion too I think Karis was almost like in the in, in between too like where he wasn't sure if he was going to the corner or if he was going straight out um I yeah. thought there was a little indecisiveness there but either way I mean it, it wasn't a perfect throw, but it was in a position where your guys should make a play on the ball. Yeah, I mean, if it was a corner route, it wasn't a terrible throw. Uh, it, that was just the, the that was supposed to be the the, the honeypot there, where the safeties come over the top and cover two, and he got he got over the top there and made the play. Good for him. So yeah, it, it's just tough to know whether that was more on JT or more on Kieris based on. Uh, the way the, the route was run. I Look, Kieris has played more football this year. JT's his second start in 15 months, essentially. I'm probably going to err on the side of saying that was just a little bit of a poor throw there, which is okay. I mean, the thing is, what we have to remember, guys, this is what I kept saying last night, was this guy's been taking reps with the first-team offense for about three weeks now. All right, Basically, after the Florida game, moving forward, he's been taking reps with the ones for about three weeks. That's and the whole point the ones healthy either. Yeah, yeah, taking reps with the ones for about three weeks. Has, still not completely healthy, I don't think. Healthy enough to play, but I don't think he's completely healthy. So we, you have you have to put this all in context, okay? Was was he perfectly crisp? No, like there were some things that he's got to clean up. There was a, a, a th- an, another throw, just like there was a throw last against Mississippi State that probably should have been intercepted in the first drive. There was a throw on, on an RPO to Jermaine Burton that probably should have been intercepted. That's another play I went back and watched, I don't know, 10, 15 times. And I'm still not sure what he was looking at there. It was clearly an RPO. But the safety was sitting right there. It's like he didn't even see the safety. Uh, and, I, and I can't account for that. I'm not sure what he was thinking there or what was going through his mind. But that, that's a poor throw. And that's the thing that he's got to clean up. But but it's, I'm not freaking out about it, guys, because it, cause I've, I heard somebody say, well, he, that throws – that's exactly what Stetson Ben and Dewan Mathis are doing. I'm like, well, well, let's wait a minute here. This guy's – Yeah, like they'll do it one time where that was their normal. Um, the right. guys got, have to work through everything. People thought he'd be perfect too. Expect, yeah, he, I think some people got unrealistic expectations when he came out and played so well last week. And that kind of went into things too because the fact is he's not going to be perfect. He's going to make mistakes, but you need him out there getting the reps to get better and get more comfortable out there and just being comfortable with who we have and what he has out there the whole time. Yes, I agree. It looked, I'm not saying it was it, it was all sunshine and rainbows. It wasn't. It was there was a lot of good and there was some bad. Like and when you, again, when a guy hasn't started for essentially 14 months before last week and you got you've been, you've been taking reps with the first team offense, you've basically been off the scout team for three weeks. There's going to be some growing pains. Well, actually, I think we're lucky. We should be thankful there haven't been more growing pains. If there were more growing pains in this first start last week against Mississippi State, we would have lost that game if he wasn't as sharp as he was. We had to have every single throw that he made in that game to win that game. Um, so yeah, like he made some mistakes and and that's okay. I, I would say there was far more good than bad in this game. And the thing I like compare him to to, to Dwan and, and what Stetson was doing, say, well, he was doing some of the same things. Well, guys, come on. Like, yes, there were some mistakes he made, but you have to be able to see the potential and what this offense well, and just make. like that throw to Arian. I mean, Arian, of course, exploded out there, but it was still a perfect throw hitting him in stride. Yeah, I mean, this guy does a lot more good than bad, and you knew he was going to have some of the bad. I mean, he's been out so long, and the fact that he's still not truly 100% healthy. Yeah, and there were two touchdown passes, at least two touchdown passes that were left on the field. There was one that was all completely on JT. Basically, what we had, we had uh, Burton and George on the same side out there, and you have George streaks up field, running the nine route, running the go route, and then you have Burton, kind of a switch release coming outside, almost like – no, it wasn't a, a fade, but it's a switch release with he's running – 
uh, basically a go route up the sideline. And that would probably could have been a touchdown if JT put on the money like he did all last week against Mississippi State, but he underthrew it. And yes, J- uh, Jermaine got his hands on the ball and probably maybe should have pulled it in. Uh, it would have been a really tough catch. And that sure would have been about a 20-yardish gain. But if he puts it on the money, hits Minshew like, like he did against Mississippi State all, all night long, that's probably a touchdown, probably a walk-in touchdown with Jermaine's speed. And then there was also the – actually, I think the best throw that he made all night, other than maybe the, the touchdown to Arian Smith, was the the touch – well, should have been a, the should have been touchdown throw, as you mentioned, Curtis, to Jermaine Burton in the end zone. Dropped it in the bucket right in his hands, and Burton just dropped it. Um, that was right in front of me at the game on Saturday night. It's like, oh, okay, Jermaine, you're really, really good, man, but you've got to make that catch. But it's okay. It didn't matter in that game, but like that's the kind of play that we've got to make. And Jermaine knows that he's going to be a great player for us, and he's already grown. He's grown so much this year. But that you know, that's one drop touchdown pass there, and this one touchdown pass that was on JT that, that or a touchdown throw that should have been made that was on him. Yeah, and even Kirby, throw. the JT probably won it back. So I mean, like they know. Yeah, again, he's been off the scout team for three weeks, guys. Three weeks, all right? Let's put that in context. I'm not, I'm not saying he was perfect. He was not. And I'm not trying to tell you that he's going to be, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner next year. We'll see. But I still say there's a lot more good than bad through these two weeks. I still think he's comfortable and confident in the pocket. And, and be, guys, being confident is such a huge part of quarterback. If you don't have the confidence in yourself out there, you aren't going to do anything. You can see, like, a case in point, Dwan Mathis. And I'm, I'm not trying to kill Dwan Mathis, all right? We'll talk more about him later on this week. Obviously, he's- I mean, I even believe it in Stetson. When Stetson started the struggle and he lost some of his confidence, the whole confidence of the offense seemed to really just sputter. And with a guy like Stetson, who, I mean, obviously we know he didn't have the physical tools. Confidence, that swagger was a big thing. Like the swagger he had against Arkansas, that helped us win that game. That turned the tide of that game. But once things started to go awry, maybe, maybe about halfway through the Alabama game, I, it was tough for him to get that back. Um, it, so it's it's so huge. If you don't have that, guys, it can really, really impact your play. And JT has that right now. He believes in himself. And he, I think he obviously knows he's got to continue to improve, but he he believes in himself, and that's half the battle at that position. Plus, he has the physical ability. Uh, and I also had to mention, too, he got us in the right run plays. Like, you don't run for 330-plus yards if the quarterback's not consistently getting the right run play when they're trying to take away the run. So he did a good job doing that as well, which I know it's not a sexy thing to talk about with quarterbacks and people kind of roll their eyes. You talk about Georgia quarterbacks getting us in the right run play. And I get that, but you've got, you've got to be able to do that. You, you have to have the run game to be able to compliment what he can do in the passing game. So all in all, like I, it was d- definitely wasn't the, perform- the performance we saw against Mississippi state, but to draw conclusions and say, oh, wow, we really need to temper this J.D. Daniels hype. Like, he's not the quarterback that we thought he was. Like, it was just a, he, you know, it's just a flash in the pan type thing, like a one-hit wonder. Like, no. I, and maybe that will end up being a one-hit wonder, but I'm not ready to draw that conclusion just based off this side. Well, especially not because you just see how much better our off- – I mean, yeah, they were depleted. But the fact of the matter of what our offense – how much more open it is with him and the, the pressure it can take off the run game now that you know that we can throw the ball – it changes everything also. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So I, I'm, I'm still I'm still riding with JT. I, I still believe. I still believe. And maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm open to the idea in the next couple of weeks. He could prove me wrong. But right now, I've seen far more good than bad from JT Daniels. And I've seen a lot of uh, evidence to suggest that he is going to activate this offense in a way that we have not seen in a long time here in Athens once he gets rolling. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But all right, Curtis, I think that fills our quarterback talk quota. So let's move on to the takes from the South Carolina game. And, Kerr, I'm going to give you first crack at this. Where do you want to go first? What was your first take? I will probably go with the run game. I thought that was the healthiest we've been outside of Kendall Milton being hurt. Um, the best we our run game has looked in general. Um, everyone just seemed to be clicking, not just Zeus, not just James, but even Dejan Edwards came in there and was getting some good runs. So I just had to give the hats off to the run uh, to the running backs. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go a little bit more. I love that. I agree with you. I'm going to go a little more specific here. I'm going to say, and I've, I've alluded to this before, and I have, who knows, I might have actually outright said this. I can't remember all the things I say on this podcast. But uh, if I haven't said it, I'm going to say it right now. Kenny McIntosh is the best running back on this football team. I agree because he got yards after contact, which was I thought was the biggest, the best part about his run 
the way he ran. Yeah, he's the total. He's the guy. I think he's more the total package than any running back we have right now. At least healthy. We can see what Kendall Milton can be, and I'm really high on Kendall Milton as well. But like we know what Zeus brings, and guys, I'm, I'm, this is not a shot at Zeus. Zeus is an incredible player, an incredible young man. I love the fact that he's on this team. He's a leader for this football team, and he runs so hard and so physical. He wants it so much. He fights out there. I love the guy. But he doesn't have the vision. At least he's he, he's gotten better there. He has improved, but he does not showcase the vision. That Kenny yeah, McIntosh there were definitely some cuts that Milton or that uh, McIntosh made that I'm like, I as soon as he did, I go, uh, Zeus can't make that. Same thing here. I turned to my wife a couple – actually, one time she turned to me and said – Zeus can't make that play, can he? I was like, nope, <laughs> no, he cannot. Um, there's a couple of those plays. Like, it, 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 first off, you have to have the vision. You have to see the hole. And then you have to have the lateral agility to be able to move into the hole. And Zeus moves well laterally. He's continued to get better coming off the injuries. But he doesn't move as well laterally as Kenny McIntosh. He doesn't have the vision. Kenny is a fantastic running back, guys. I, I mean, I, it, it, was a sh- it really hurt us, honestly, when he got injured in the Alabama game. I think he's really, really good. I also think he's an underrated guy out of the backfield. Obviously, James Cook fills that role more than anyone else, but Kenny can make some plays out of the backfield in the receiving game as well. He he might not run as – well, he might not be as physical as Zeus and as powerful, but he's no slouch there either. He can run with some power. You mentioned, Curtis, just driving the pile. Of course, the offensive line helps with that. This guy runs hard. He runs with physicality. He's got good speed. Not a home run speed kind of guy, but good speed. Uh, great lateral agility, great vision. All things you need to run back. I think Kenny McIntosh is – the best running back that we have on the roster right now. We have some really good backs as well. I'll throw out another one here, just a bonus take to go. It just kind of goes along the same lines. I don't think James Cook is the best pure running back on the team, but I, and I know this is nothing new. We've said this for years and years, but I we've gotten him more involved in this offense this year. But I still think James Cook has to be more involved in this offense. Are you with me, Curtis? Um, yeah, I agree. And I thought Stinchco made a good point how he's talking to Munkin about James Cook and said James we're t- James Cook is an exceptional athlete, but we're trying to teach him to become an exceptional running back. And I see it out there. I mean, when he has the open, when the field's open and you can see him getting more and more comfortable doing it, but he's just so explosive. I think – I'm not ready to go out on a limb and say this definitively, but I think there's a world – I think you can make an argument that James Cook is maybe the most explosive athlete – Oh, the most explosive offensive weapon we have. Like, is that outlandish to say, Curtis? No, just because it's versatility. Yeah, it's just the, the ways that we can use it. If you get him in space, if they, like we've seen, like you, you saw against Alabama, right? You got the wheel route for the touchdown. It wasn't actually, it wasn't a wheel route. We lined him up there, wide receiver, and he just burned the guy, and uh, you got a touchdown. Like, because what happens is, is you line up in the, I think it's Alabama. What we did there, if you can think back a couple of weeks now, oh, a couple months, I guess. You line up in the backfield, and then you motion them out wide. And if, if they're in the right defense, you have a linebacker matched up on a running back who's now playing wide receiver, who has some wide receiver skills. They had Christian Harris, their inside linebacker, matched up on James Cook out there out wide. Basically, he's playing receiver out there, not in the slot, out wide. And that's a that's a mismatch. That's a nightmare for an opposing defense. They can't, they're not going to win that matchup, and James Cook burned him for an 80-ish yard touchdown on that play. It's those kind of things. And we saw a glimpse of what he can do as an actual running back, you mentioned you're right. Stenchko mentioned Curtis. I was listening on the recap on the the replay, talking about as what Munkin said. Like we're trying to teach him how to become an, a great running back, and I think we saw signs of that. I know it's a small sample, but we saw signs of that. I mean, two good plays from the running back position, not like lining up the, out, out there in the slot or at, at receiver or running a screen pass, just running the football. And we saw him make two big plays there. So I think this guy has got so much versatility. We know that we've been saying that for years, and I think that. We're doing a good job, a much better job with Munkin this year of getting him involved in the office. And there's a lot of times where we dial up plays for him that just don't get made. Uh, there was a play in this game, actually, where we had a – I think it was going to be a big play to Cook in the passing game, but it just – we couldn't protect JT long enough. And, and those plays have happened plenty of times throughout his career. But we just got to find a way to get him more involved in this offense because this is a guy that I think could be a big-time playmaker for us moving forward into – it's hard to believe but his senior season next year if he does indeed come back, which I hope he does. I think it would really be in his best interest to come back. I know we have a crowded backfield, so I'm curious to see how, what happens there. But I would certainly love for James to come back next year. All right, Kurt, where are you going next? Um, I'm going to go um... – I'm going to go with the defensive line. I thought um, they played pretty well, honestly. Um, not just Jalen Carter, but everyone. I thought everyone. Uh, they all did a good job of getting out there. I mean, Jalen Carter, of course, was the talk of the show because I thought he had the best game. But I, th- I want to give the defensive line some credit. I think this this experience they're getting without Jordan Davis, is they're starting to really develop. Yeah, we're going to have to get used to life without Jordan Davis. I was hoping Jordan might be able to play this week. Kirby made some comments that made me feel like he had a chance to play. He seemed to be pretty optimistic about it, but that did not work out. 
But we're going to have to get used to life without him because he's not going to be here next year, guys. He's going pro. I mean, I'd be stunned. It'd take a borderline miracle for him to come back next year. And we don't have a guy that's exactly like Jordan Davis right now. So we're going to have to find a way to still be a good run defense without him. And, look, I know that South Carolina has lost their head coach, and I know that you know they're banged up. They've had guys opt out. But you know what? They still have their starting running back. Kevin Harris is a good running back, guys. I mean, one of the best running backs in the entire league, one of the top two running backs in the league. And most of their offensive line is fairly intact in this game. And we held them to 83 yards on 43 carries, 1.9 yards per attempt. Cameron Harris himself, 3.1 yards per attempt. Did have that one touchdown. He ran hard. He had some couple, couple tough runs, but like we we held that run game in check, in, in a way that most teams haven't been able to do against South Carolina. So I, I was really proud of the defensive line. I mean, un, un, talk about being undermanned. Our defensive line is undermanned. Not only are we missing Jordan Davis, but you got Julian Rochester out there, Brinson, all these like we've got some guys that are out. We've got some young dudes that have not played much this year. Guys like Zion Logue playing really, really well up front. We've got Devontae Wyatt basically having to play nose guard. And that's not what Devontae Wyatt does. I want to give him a lot of credit. That guy is, I mean, I haven't heard him complain at all. He's just going out there and doing what he's asked to do. And he's playing out of position and he's not playing the glamour spot there. He's just trying to eat up blocks. That's not what he's built to do. And you mentioned, I'm going to go ahead and mention him here because you, you threw him out there. Jalen Carter is one of the guys that I was going to mention a little bit later. You stole him from me. But Jalen Carter is about to become a monster in this in this league. He, he's, I, he, he hasn't been there all year long. He's made plays. He's flashed here and there. But this dude is on his way going to next season. He is going to be a flat-out monster. There are a couple – I found kind of at least three plays going back and watching uh, the replay – where he just completely blew up the play. He didn't get credit for the tackle or the sack or anything like that, but blew up the play in the get-go with his penetration. That's, that's one thing that we haven't consistently had. Like Devontae White's been pretty good there, but a guy that's able to penetrate like that against the run game and just blow up the offense's plays, we haven't had a ton of guys that even line at that in the past couple of years. So Jalen Carter is going to be a monster. He's getting better each and every time out. No doubt about it. All right, uh, I'm going to go with another one here, Curtis. So for I'm going to say – one takeaway for this game and that I just it was really comforting for me to see is that this is what we need to get back to doing against SEC East opponents. Just dominate them. And it hasn't been that way this year. We haven't been dominating SEC East opponents. I mean, go back to 2017 through 2019, through last year. We were 17 and 1 against SEC East opponents from 2017 to 2019. We beat the, – in the games that we won, we won by an average of 24 points in that same time span. It hasn't been that way this year. It has not been that way. But if you so, go back to that Kentucky game, that's one that we should have won a lot bigger. Oh, absolutely. And part of that was game plan. And I, and I know a lot of fans were obviously frustrated by that. But, I mean, we just haven't – even the games like, – you're right. Like, Kentucky, we win that game. We were, like, we were never in doubt of losing that game. But we're not – we weren't dominating teams – like we were for that three-year stretch from 17 to 19 to last year. So it's great to see. And I don't care. Yes, I know that Will Muschamp's been fired. I know that they're undermanned. They've had guys opt out. I get that. So you know what? We, we have injuries too, guys. We do too. So I don't care. I don't want to hear about that. It was just great to see Georgia doing what Georgia has been doing for the past three years, dominating SEC East opponents. And we need to carry that over the rest of this season. And we need to carry that into next season and get back on track because that's what this team is capable of. And that's what we should be doing. It hasn't been that way this year, but that was a, a, a sight for sore eyes. Something that was very encouraging to see. Let's just take it to a, an opposing team and just destroy them from the get go. And basically just take their will from the outset. And they have, what was it? 21, nothing. We jumped up. Kurt, is that right? It was 21, nothing. I believe so. Yeah. yeah I think we jumped up to 21, nothing lead. And we haven't been doing that. So, even against like Tennessee, yeah, we ended up blowing out Tennessee, but that that game didn't start out that way. It was it was a second half surge against Tennessee. We haven't been taking the life out of teams from the get go, and we did that on Saturday, and uh, that was really encouraging to see moving forward. All right, Kurt, where are you on next? Um, I'm going to go with the offensive line after such a bad performance against uh, Mississippi State. I thought they did a good job in coming back and really answering the uh, the bell this time. Yeah, what, what a performance. I mean, we heard all week about how bad the offensive line was, and they were, guys. I mean, some of it was, yes, absolutely Mississippi State coming out there and like a 3-3-5 look. And South Carolina did some of that, too. You could tell they had watched the tape with Mississippi State, and they did a little bit of that, try to confuse us. But we were we were ready for it. Let's just say that. We were we were not confused this time around. But that did have a part that had something to do with it against uh, Mississippi State. But we also got whiffed just man-on-man, one-on-one, too many times in that game. And, uh, and I'll tell you this, the South Carolina defensive line, they still have a lot of, a lot of really good players there for me. Zach Pickens is still playing guys. I mean, you got Sanders. They have some guys that are, that are highly recruited guys from years past. 
that were playing for that defensive line. And our offensive line responded in a big way. 46 carries, 332 yards, 7.2 yards attempt, four rushing touchdowns. Compared to last week against Mississippi State, we had 23 carries for eight yards, 0.3 yards per attempt. It, you know, that includes sacks, but still a terrible performance, worst performance of the year. And to come back and match with what was the best performance of the year, or follow with what was the best performance of the year on the ground. That says a lot about this unit, also what they can do moving forward. And we got to look at some different guys. What did you make of uh, of guys like Warren Erickson getting a look in there, Xavier Trust? What did you make of those guys? Um, I was most impressed with Clay Webb, even though it's in garbage time. I just was very impressed with the way he came off the ball. Um, I even mentioned last week that I thought Warren Erickson should have at least gotten a look or two um, just with the struggles trying to do something new, bring some new life into it. So it was nice to see them out there. Yeah, I, I thought everyone who who, was, who got out there played really well, whether it was Truss, Webb, Erickson. It sucked. I um, I guess it was a hold. I guess it was a cold on that that Dejan Edwards touchdown run. I, I was I was frustrated for Dejan. I really wanted to get that touchdown. I got called back on the Erickson hold, but I, I guess it was close enough to call a hold. And when you when you get them out like that, they're going to call it. But yeah, offensive line played really well. Big time performance for them. Really big bounce back performance. So they can keep doing that moving forward the rest of the way. We should be able to get some of the teams we have left on the rock. I mean, Vanderbilt should pose no obstacle whatsoever. And the Missouri is like, a team that's got a good run defense. Nick Bolton's a good running back, our good linebacker. But uh, I think our offensive line should have a, a good chance of, of running the football with a lot of success against Missouri in a couple of weeks, whenever we decide to play them. Um, all right. Uh, is it my turn? Did, you, did, did I just go or did you go, Kurt? It should be your turn. My turn. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the defensive backfield here. And these guys have been beaten up all year. And deservedly so a lot of the time, especially in our two biggest games against Alabama and Florida. But I'm going to say this. I really hope that Tyson Campbell comes back next year. That guy, I mean, this dude is so ridiculously athletic and his ceiling is so absurdly high that if he comes back one more year, this guy, I don't want to say he can be an All-American. I'm not ready to go there because he still has a lot of room to grow. And I know he's had some high-profile misses this year, high-profile games where he just got, he got, I don't want to say burned, but teams have had success throwing the ball against him at times this year, whether it's good throws, great catches, whatever. Sometimes he's out of position, but I think he's improved. He He's more consistently in position than he was his first two years. And again, just watching the guy, just watch the guy run. Like he, I love watching him like on special teams, like on the punt team, the way he gets down the field, it's like, oh my God, they have no chance to return a kick against us because this guy is just so insanely athletic. And he has all the tools to be as good as he wants to be at cornerback. And I, he obviously had a big interception against South Carolina, almost returned it for a touchdown. And he was, he was playing like, it looked like a little cover two there. He was baiting the quarterback. They had a guy sitting in the flat, but that guy wasn't even interested in running his, running his route. He just read Doty's eyes and drifted back in there and, and, and intercepted the ball and, and almost went back for a touchdown. But it's things like that that are, that are just tantalizing for Tyson Campbell. This guy can be really good. I, I'm afraid he's going to go pro. I, Kurt, if you had a candy cane right now, do you think he goes? Yeah, I mean, you're seeing kids go more and more just – expecting to be developed in the league yeah when the agents get a hold of you and they start not even that just families start telling you how talented you are where he is he's insanely gifted um there's probably a better chance than not he's gonna go and i, I would say that's probably what's gonna end up happening but man i think he could really benefit by coming back I, I i just i believe in the guy in terms of what he'd become based on his physical ability he's not there yet and maybe he wants to go ahead and just risk it and go develop and whatever he's fine being a second third round pick that's okay but I think this guy has first-round potential if he comes back and just continues to sharpen his skills one more year. I don't think it'll happen. I hope it does because I think he could be huge for us. I also think it would be really good for him to find him find his way into the first round. I don't think he's a – you think he's a first-round pick right now? I don't think he is. Skill-wise, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, playing wise, physicality, sure. But like for the way he's performed in the biggest games against the best receivers, no, I don't know. Biggest games, he's gotten absolutely burnt or just yeah. Moss, the two. I think he should come back not just for redemption, but just a chance to prove you guys, hey, I can go against I can I can I, I I don't believe in shutdown corners anymore, that concept. I just don't think rules allow it anymore. But I think he needs to come back and prove that I can I can take away a side of the field as much as anyone can these days, a la DeAndre Baker a couple of years ago. If he does that, then I think he could put himself in line to be a first round draft pick. And I think that would be a smart move for him, but he's got his own priorities. He has his own situation. And I hope he just makes the best decision for himself, but it'd be great. He'd be great if he came back, especially with some of the issues we might have in the secondary with a lot of other guys leaving next year. So it'd be great. It'd be great to get him back. All right, Kurt, where are you going next? I'm going to, uh, my next one's, I'm just going to talk about the physicality of Lewis Cena. 
I just love watching the way he plays, comes up there, and the the way he just hits people and wants to inflict pain. Yeah, I had him on my list, too. You just stole him for me. Uh, that's another great one. I think Lewis, seen what I had written down here is I think he can become an all-SEC player next year. I think he's going to be I mean, guy. he's what you need in a strong safety, the, the guy that will come up there and make the hit. Um, something that I feel like – I mean, Richard's been good at it, but I honestly feel like we've been missing an enforcer, and that's really what he is back there. Yeah, I mean, I, he was there taking on Kevin Harris one-on-one and bringing him down when, when all our him. players couldn't tackle him to save their life. Yeah, I mean, he's way overmatched from a size standpoint against Kevin Harris, but it, it's just no fear. It's just – I mean, I, I I know it was a targeting penalty against Kyle Pitts, and I get that. I'm not going to glorify giving somebody a concussion, but, like, no fear in that play. Just throwing his body out there. And I don't think he was trying to hurt. He definitely was not trying to hurt Pitts in that play. Um, but the guy just has almost no regard for his own body. He's going out there and just trying to make plays. And uh, he's an eraser. You're right. He's an absolute eraser back there. And I think with another year in the system, now with a full year as a starter under his belt, I think he'd be an all-SEC caliber player next year. I really believe that he's going to be a, a leader on this defense. He leads in different ways. not as, as maybe loud and boisterous as Richie's, more of a, a lead-by-example kind of guy. But that example is pretty impressive. I got to be honest with you there. So I, I'm really excited about him. He's certainly one I had on my list as well. I'm going to stick on the defense side of the ball here for my, my next one. And look, I love our inside linebackers. I'm really excited about what they can do uh, the rest of this year. I mean, I don't know much of the year left, but also going to next year. I know we're going to lose Monty Rice, and that sucks because Monty is awesome. But Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, and yeah, I'm going to throw Channing Tindall in there as well. Channing Tindall, Curtis, I think he's going to be – I'll say this. I don't think we're going to miss much of a beat next year without Monty Rice. Would you agree with me? Um, I think just his instincts and his leadership ability. Um, but I think Tyndall right now, if he keeps playing the way he is, I think he may have the uh, the possibility of passing up Quay because he just seems to have better instincts. Now, to me, that's the one spot in Quay's game where he's uh, struggling the most. I, I you you guys know I'm really high on Quay Walker, but he's he's still growing at that position. He made some nice plays though too. There were some times where he filled the gap and made the the, the right read. But more often than not, if he's not going to make a play, it comes down to the fact that he's just not reading it well. Yeah. And, and quite just, I mean, you remember, guys, like he, it's why I told you coming into their their freshman year, I, I thought Tyndall would have a, more of an impact the freshman year because he was just, he was further along in that position. He played that position more than Quay did in high school. Quay didn't really play inside linebacker in high school. It was more of a learning curve for him. But once the light went off for him, then I thought he would pass Tyndall up, which is essentially what has happened. But it doesn't mean I'm ready to give up on Channing Tindall. And he hasn't played a ton throughout this year. He's played more and more the past couple of weeks. And I think he's earned that. And I really like what I see from Channing Tindall. That guy, he might – I know Nicobe Dean is really fast and Quay is really fast in his own right. I think Tindall might be the fastest of all the linebackers. I really think that. I think he's more explosive the way – the way he it's almost like he shoots out of a cannon when he goes to make a play. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the explosiveness, right? Like when the sack on Doty, like – you're right. Shot out of a cannon is the perfect way to say that. I mean, that speed, that closing speed to, to close that ground, to get that sack is incredible. And I, I think he is faster in a straight line than any of our other running backs. And all those guys are really fast, too. I don't, I don't think maybe he has as much lateral agility as some of the other guys. I don't think he's as good in coverage as some of the other guys. I think it's maybe one of the reasons that he hasn't been playing as much, you know, the first part of the year. But – and I hate to say, like, we're not going to skip a beat because, like – it's discounting what Monty Rice brought to this team. Monty's been so, so good for us, and we, we're going to miss him. But I just don't think there's going to be a massive drop-off at inside linebacker when Monty Rice leaves. I think we're going to have, a, a, at the very least, a good another three-man rotation with, with Quay, Nicobe, and Shane Tindall. And, and whoever starts, I don't know, that they'll, they'll battle that out. But I think we're going to have a really, really good rotation again next year. We have some guys like Ryan Davis and Trezor Marshall that can certainly get in the mix as well. But I'm not really concerned about inside linebacker next year, even without Monty Rice. Now, saying that, one thing I do want to add here is I had two things about inside linebackers. I like what we have there. I like the, the talent of those players. But we have just simply got to do a better job of defending the running back in the pass game. And that's not always inside linebacker because we have different coverages and different responsibilities based on what we're doing from a coverage standpoint. But the majority of the time, that running back in the pass game is the inside linebacker responsibility. We or just back up because, I mean, some of those plays I thought was frustrating the most was the plays they were making on Kevin Harris and things like that, especially in the passing game, but just weren't wrapping him up. And I know he's a big, strong guy, but come on. I mean, some of those plays, but, like, just abs- – like, that for sure. We, we saw that a little bit against Mississippi State. But, I mean, whether it's man coverage, zone coverage, it doesn't matter. Like, we're, we're allowing the running backs – to hurt us far too much in the passing game. We saw against Florida, obviously a lot of pick plays, rub routes, that kind of thing. 
but you have to be better than that. You have to, I mean, you can't tell me like we didn't show up at the, at the game in Jacksonville and say, Oh wow, this is the first time we're seeing Florida run rub plays. Like that's what they've done all year. I told you guys that in the preview show going to the four game, that's what they do. So you can't tell me that our guys had not seen that on film. You can't tell me that we didn't spend all week prepping for that. Of course we did. And to go out there and still get murdered that way. And, and, have it carry over a little bit against Mississippi State and a little bit against South Carolina. Certainly not to the same degree as it was against Florida, but that's just something that we've got to clean up. I think Glenn Schumann does an outstanding job as our inside linebacker coach, but for whatever reason, we continue to have issues covering running backs at the backfield. And it's not because these guys can't cover, they can't. It's, it's more of a mental, there's almost like a mental breakdown where they get their eyes in the wrong spot or whatever it is. They just got to clean that up and do a better job of defending the running back in the past game. That's one thing that's certainly frustrating me, but I, I, again, Really high on what we have inside linebacker. That's just one area that I think they certainly need to clean up. All right, Kirk, got a couple more here. Where are you going next? Uh, I'm going to give uh, some credit to Todd Monken. I mean, yeah, we didn't go out there and throw for 400 yards, but the one thing I just love watching the way he calls plays is that he's always attacking. Um, even the the drives that, you know, didn't go anywhere we had to punt, it was, you know, a lot of it was a lack of execution, like, you know, not executing on that uh, pass to Burton on that uh, route which probably could have gone for a touchdown and it just seems like even when we're, ru- we're running the ball it's always in an attacking way um, not just you know running it up the gut but trying to get the ball on the edge and e- e- just everything about the way he calls the game he tries to put pressure on that defense and I just love and I'm really enjoying watching it right now like it yeah someone's done an incredible job for us all year no doubt about it love him I just hope we can keep him around that's that's really what it comes up if we can keep this guy around I think we have everything that we need moving into next year. I really believe that. All right, my last one here, Curtis, and I'll give it back to you to wrap things up if you have one more you want to go out there with. But last one for me, I'm I'm, I'm going to make a declarative statement here. You guys know that I, I oftentimes shy away from declarative statements because I don't like to speak in absolutes, just a, a, a personal principle of mine. But I'm going to go out and say, I'm going to go on a limb here. I think our wide receiver core will be as good as any in the SEC next year. Curtis, am I crazy? No, um, especially seeing Arian Smith out there, who to me is a bigger version of me, Cole. You're just seeing how dangerous we can be next year, especially getting Rosemary back. You just look at all the weapons that we'll have. You're almost sitting there like there's only one football. How are we going to get all these guys the balls? Because there's so many weapons out there. Yeah, I don't want to overreact to Arian Smith and like one touchdown pass, which is great. Good for, and that's awesome. But- speed, which is the one thing that you can't coach. I mean, to me, I mean – it, it, it was like almost watching Devonta Smith when he was a freshman before he had really really developed into what he was. His big difference maker was his speed. Yep, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. With Arian Smith, I, I told you guys when we were recruiting him, he's a spitting image of Devonta Smith. He Like Devonta Smith coming to high school, guys, and people forget this, Devonta Smith was committed to Georgia, by the way, first. And then Rick gets fired, he ends up going to Alabama, and the rest of history, we all know that, right? Whatever, it sucks. Um, but Devonta Smith was un- – like. Und- uh, just thin, rail thin coming out of high school. I mean, even now he's a thin guy. Yeah, exactly. And Arian Smith was the exact – like the measurables were uncanny. But the, the similarity between Devontae Smith and Arian Smith, not only just – and also the fact obviously the last name, just random, I know. But both play receiver, very, very similar measurables in terms of their speed, their size, their weight, all of that. I mean, he's a spitting image of Devontae Smith. That's the comparison. That's what this guy can be. I'm not saying he's going to be Devontae Smith because Devontae Smith has been one of the best receivers in the league, in, in the in the in the country for the past two seasons. I, and maybe Aaron gets there, maybe he doesn't. I don't know what the future holds. But in terms of his physical profile, he's a spitting image of, of Devontae Smith. That's exactly what he is. And he had the he had the injury early in the year, which kept off the field. You had to wonder what, the, what how much better offense would have been, even without JT Daniels, if you have a guy like that out there, along with Jermaine Burton, George Pickens, especially when Pickens was out. That makes your offense a lot more dangerous. It, it changes the dynamic of your entire offense. So I'm excited for him. But, of course, I mean, George Pickens will be back next year. Jermaine Burton, after four years of starter. Hopefully, Rosemary Jack Saint will be back healthy next year. Dominic Blaylock. I mean, you and I were talking about this, course. Where does Dominic Blaylock even fit in next year? I mean, that's, that's a good question. There's that, so many weapons. Yeah, I mean, and that's a crazy thing. A guy that's as good as Dominic Blaylock and was as highly recruited as he is, and is a, a guy that's, that we were so excited about to have last year, he really started to come on towards the end of last year. And you're talking about now coming off like two ACL injuries, like where does he even fit in? And that's not, that's not to say that he's not a good player. He's a really good player. But you have all these dynamic options. It's like, wow, like we're just going to have an embarrassment of riches at wide receiver. So a position, and, and people like to, to kill Kirby for our offensive scheme, so on and so forth, and I get that at times. And there have been some recruiting misses here and there. And our wide receivers, I don't say they were a weakness. They were a weakness last year, no doubt about it. But give Kirby Smart and company credit. 
Cortez Hainton credit for recognizing a deficiency on our team last year, which is the receiver position, and then going out and addressing it immediately last year in recruiting. And we're going to be set up going into 2021. I think you can make an argument that we will have one of the, if not the best, wide receiver course in the SEC in the span of two years. Think about what we had in 2019 and what we're going to have in 2021. It's not even the same stratosphere. So great job by the coaches have to get those guys in here. Great job of those guys working, developing. And I cannot wait to see what this offense is going to look like next year with all those weapons at receiver, with JT Daniels, hopefully at quarterback, with the running backs we have, offensive, a lot of guys from the offensive line. I think we can be scary, scary good in offense. I think this might be the offense we've been waiting for for years. I think it certainly has a chance. All right, Kurt, anything left for you? Yeah, I'm going to touch just my last thing is I'm looking forward to that battle next year for the offensive line, just seeing the backups in there. It's going to be one heck of a heated battle next year. Oh, yeah, it's going to be awesome, man. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously spend all offseason talking about this. We have plenty of time to talk about it. You got any, You want to handicap it real quick? Like, like if you had to say right now, starting five next year, oof, that's tough. Where are you, who are you going with? Uh, if I had to go off the top of my head, I'd say if Salyer came back, I'd go Salyer, Webb, Van Pran. I'm not sure at the right guard, and then Broderick Jones at the right tackle. So left or right, you're going – say one more time. Salyer, Clay Salyer, Webb. Webb, Van Pran. Um, I'm not sure right guard and then right tackle. I may think Broderick could take overtake Warren McClendon. Yeah, this is a really tough one for me to try to answer because there's just so much that we don't know right now. There's a lot of guys that we haven't seen a ton of this year, a lot of guys that we know are highly, highly talented players coming out of high school, how much have they developed, how much will they continue to develop. A guy like Broderick Jones, who you mentioned, Curtis, could he potentially put on enough weight following the injury to get himself in contention for a starting spot next year? There's just so many talented guys, so many highly recruited guys that we have in the pipeline it's just tough to know who's going to rise to the top between now and spring practice and then spring practice and fall camp and fall camp and the start of the 2021 season. But it's, it's always a fun exercise. So if I uh, had to give it a shot here right now on November 29th, 2020, I guess the safe bet, I'm going to go with the safe bet. If Jamari Salyer is still on the team and he doesn't decide to go pro, which I think Jamari will return. That's my guess right now. I don't have any inside information there. I'm just looking at the situation. I don't know how high of a draft pick he would be. He's a guy that could potentially come back for another year and raise his draft stock. So let's say Jamari comes back. If he does, he's got a full year of starting experience under his belt at left tackle. That's a position. We know how important that position is. You know, When the quarterback position has become as important as it has, that means the positions that most directly complement the quarterback position, which in my opinion would be wide receiver and left tackle, left tackle being typically the blindside protector of the quarterback, those become premium positions as well. So I don't know if you want to go into a new season when you have a lot of the pieces in place to be really good with a completely inexperienced player at left tackle, whether that be Broderick Jones, Marius Mims, Xavier Trust, whoever that might be. I think the safer bet to start next season would be Jamari Salyer at left tackle if he comes back next year, even though that might not be, I don't think it is, his most natural position on the offensive line. And I don't think he's the guy with the highest ceiling at left tackle among the offensive linemen currently on our roster. But it's just a safer bet with the full year of starting experience under his belt to say he'll at least start the season left tackle. There could be some shuffling as the season goes on, but I think he's probably the safest bet to say he'll start there. Left guard, both guard positions are wide open. Let's say, you know what, if Trey Hill comes back, he's another guy that could potentially go pro, I guess, but he's another guy like Salyer. I think he'll probably come back. I don't think he'll be a really high draft pick right now, but you never know a guy's situation. It might be in his best interest and his family's best interest for him to go ahead and go. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that Trey Hill comes back. I don't know if Trey Hill will be our center next year. Now, that's tough to say. He's a two-year starter at that position, so you think, well, okay, well, experience is important there because that's the position on the offensive line that sets all the protections, all that stuff. So you want an inexperienced guy up front there? I don't know. Just the snapping issues are just so consistent and so frustrating for me. I mean, it didn't cost us the game against Tennessee, but it could have if Tennessee was better. You can't have that kind of thing. So I, I, I think he could play guard really well. So I, I would, let's say him at left guard, one of the guard positions. Let's say left guard. Center would probably come down to Warren Erickson and or Cedric Van Pran, who's a true freshman, really high on what he can be down the road. Let's say um, Erickson's maybe a little bit ahead of right now. Let's say Erickson takes that spot. You know what? Let me change that real quick. Let's say Cedric Van Pran, because I think Erickson can also play guard. Obviously, he started the Sugar Bowl last year at guard, has played some guard this year. Um, he's got a little more versatility. I think maybe Van Pran could play guard if, if he needed to. I think he's more of a true center prospect. I think that's how our coaches view him from what I understand. So let's say he becomes the center, and then you have Erickson slide over at right guard. And then at right tackle, of course, you're going to have a couple options there. You're going to have Warren McClendon who will be back. 
Owen Condon might well be back if he doesn't transfer. You know, he was a guy who started the season there. He'll probably continue to battle if he's still on the team. I'm sure he will. Then you've got some really talented young guys. You've got Tate Ratledge, who's really been repping at guard. I think long term his future might be a guard. He might be a guy that factors into one of the guard spots that some of these guys go pro. Uh, but then you've also got Broderick Jones, who you know he really set himself back with the motorcycle, scooter, whatever it was, accident, motorized vehicle accident earlier in the year. So he needs to add a lot of weight. I think he can do that. He's got all the, the natural ability. He's got the athleticism. He just needs to get back in the weight room and uh, get in the cafeteria and just put some good, solid weight on that frame. He could be a guy that could, could be in that conversation. Marius Mims coming in as a true freshman is a guy that could potentially be in that conversation. Trust maybe. You could, go, you could throw him at right tackle. So there's a lot of options at right tackle. That would be a massive battle just as it was this preseason. But while I do believe there are more talented options in the long term at right tackle than Warren McClendon, because he's had essentially a full year of starting under his belt, I would put him as the favorite to start at that position to open next year. And you could say some of the guys, again, whether it's it's Mims or Jones or Truss or even potentially maybe Tate Ratledge. He's been working at right tackle some earlier in the preseason. He's more been working at guard lately from my understanding. You could say one of those guys could potentially rise up and take that spot. But it's just so hard to know. It's hard to predict that right now when we have basically seen nothing of them at the college level. It's certainly possible they're incredibly talented guys and maybe more physically gifted than Warren McClendon, but it's just so hard to project that when you haven't seen them. It would just be complete and utter conjecture. I mean, I guess this exercise is conjecture any way you slice it, but at least it's based on something. Saying that Broderick Jones or Marius Mims is going to start at right tackle next year. That's not really based on anything other than like their recruiting ranking. And I guess sometimes that matters, but I need to see a little bit more before I go out and limb and say, okay, yeah, that guy is going to start next year. So right now the safe bet, I guess I would go with Warren McClendon there, although there's some more talented options that could potentially rise up and overtake him. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ podcast. And of course, as is always the case in these recap shows, we never have enough time to cover everything that we want to cover, everything that happened during this week's game so if there's anything we missed any questions that you guys have please feel free to send them to us on social media you can hit us up on twitter at glory underscore uj or you can just email them to us at glory podcast at gmail.com and we will try to get to each and every one of those questions get to as many of them as we possibly can this week on the mailbag episode so thanks for listening guys we always appreciate the support but for curtis i'm tyler and as always go dogs Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.